Welcome to another episode of Inside Golden State Politics. I'm Bill Boyarski, former city editor uh, and columnist for the Los Angeles Times. And with me is Nancy Boyarski, our producer director. And I'm Sherry Bebich Jeffy, political analyst and self-styled media maven, coming to you from Poolside at Mar-a-Lago, where I'm reading some juicy classified documents. Only kidding. Over to you, Bill. Sherry, is poolside Mar-a-Lago equivalent as good as poolside at Ladera Heights? Hardly, my dear. And I wouldn't let anybody from Mar-a-Lago into my backyard. (laughs) Well, the big political news around the country is the way Wyoming uh, Republicans dumped Liz Cheney. But around here, we have huge tasks important to the city, the region, the state, homelessness, housing, mental illness, and many more. Our guest, Los Angeles City Councilman Mike Bonin, is not seeking re-election after serving on the council since 2013, representing Venice and other parts of West Los Angeles. Mike has never ducked controversy, especially the hot issues. Now he's not running in the next election. Mike, why aren't you running? Uh, well, uh, I, I will continue to avoid uh, ducking controversy. I will continue to seek it in the remainder of my term and even when I'm done. Uh, that I assure you. Please on, please on this show, do not controversy. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, you know. You must be running for something if you're answering that question. I, that way. I, I am not running for anything, and it is why I am probably the happiest person in Los Angeles politics right now. Uh, I, I announced back in January that uh, I was not going to seek a a third term uh, for personal reasons. One of them is that for a a number of years, even before I took office, uh, I'd been struggling with depression and mental health issues. And uh, for a while, public service was something that helped me address that and took me out of it. And over the past couple of years, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. public service has kind of sucked. And um, uh, it was counterproductive. And... um, uh, I decided, you know, particularly with an eight-year-old son, I wanted to spend more time on my health and my wellness and my family. And uh, just having made that decision and living in that 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 new possibility, I'm doing phenomenally better and looking forward to whatever is next. Although I don't know exactly what it'll be yet, but it will not be elective office. You... <laughs> I was going to ask you that, but. Can you sort of elaborate on what you mean by suckiness? What's the suckiness of yeah. public service for you these days? Well, you know, th- th- there's a number of, of different things, and, and, and some are personal and, and, and some are sort of political. You know, the, the past couple of years have been, they have just been a, a, a perfect storm of, of challenge in government between um, uh, the the pandemic uh, between the the economic collapse in in in, in parts of the, the country, uh, in terms of uh, our society's uh, uh, initial reckoning, and then I think backsliding from uh, the questions of systemic racism that came about from the death of of George Floyd, and for me that moment, you know, in 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 the spring and summer of 2020, 
uh, was, mm-hmm. I-, I thought, an opportunity for a 21st century New Deal, where we would fundamentally reshape what government does at the local, state, and national level, and really respond to, to questions of poverty and, and systemic racism and income inequality. And largely, I just, I don't think we did. So that was disappointing. Um, uh, there's also just a, a, a negative, brutally negative tenor out there that, that, that makes, you know, public service a challenge for everybody. I, I just came back from a conference in Denver with 350 other locally elected progressives, and it was sort of a universal theme. And, you know, th- there's no one thing that would have led me to not running again. You know, if I weren't struggling, you know, with a mental health issue, I think I'd, you know, stand up and, and, and keep dealing with the crap that came in and, and deal with the challenges. But when you put all those three things together, I thought, you know, there's there's so many ways in life to serve and make a difference um, that they don't all have to be in 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 public office. And I want to find different ways to cause some good trouble. And part of that is uh, electing a, a whole new uh, class of progressives, particularly at the local level, to make some good change. Coming out of so far of the primaries, do you see uh, a whole new class of progressives on the local level? up on the state level, all the way to the national level. And when you answer that, would you please define for me your definition of what a progressive is? What is the definition of the progressive? So for, for, for me, a progressive is somebody... Why are you laughing? Uh, well, because I th- it's something that progressives fight about, right? I mean... On, on, on the left, <laughs> there's always a purity test about who's progressive enough. And I've been dealing with that since college where, you know, you're, you're never progressive enough for the person seated to your to, to your left. Right. Um, and so progressivism is, is a little bit like, you know, what the Supreme Court justice said about uh, obscenity. You know it when you, 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 you've seen it. But for me, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, progressivism means a commitment to, to economic and social justice is sort of a, a framework for how you look at issues. And it means willing not just to sort of tinker with stuff, but to actually make some big systemic change. And, um, you know, that has played out in, in a lot of different ways. It plays out in the dynamics of homelessness and of public safety and criminal justice in particular in Los Angeles and, and fighting climate change, I think are the areas where it plays out most acutely. Um, and, uh, I, I'm actually incredibly optimistic, not nationally, but locally, um, here in Los Angeles because, you know, in the first district, uh, you know, uh, Eunices Hernandez, who I think is going to be a powerful force in Los Angeles politics for a long time, uh, unseated and incumbent. Uh, she is a, a, a fierce young progressive. Uh, Hugo Soto Martinez, uh, uh, bested Mitch O'Farrell, uh, in a primary and looks to be in very good shape for, uh, a, a, a runoff. In my district, Aaron Darling, who had no money and did one piece of mail, uh, was outspent 10 to 1, came in first in the primary, running on a, a progressive platform. Um, we're, we're seeing that a lot. Despite the master narrative out there uh, of, uh, and we saw it in, in, in the day after the election in a lot of press accounts, particularly out of town press, of, uh, you know, the conservative backlash. Well, that didn't happen here. We're, we're, we're seeing a new progressive energy. Um, and uh, I think we're seeing that in a lot of races, you know, in, in the San Fernando Valley for the state assembly, 
uh, Carolyn Menjivar came out of nowhere uh, to uh, get into a runoff with Daniel Hertzberg, the son of a longtime uh, state senator. Uh, you've, you've got a lot of uh, uh, really uh, progressive candidates running in some of the local cities in Santa Monica and Culver City I see around here. And I, I, I just I'm, I'm really very inspired by it and, and, and want to do what I can to help it. What about mayor of L.A.? You have a progressive candidate who you endorsed. Yes. That's running against a, a, a former Republican, uh, Rick Caruso. What's at stake in that election? Well, I, I think there's you know, a huge amount at stake in that election. And I'll say from the start, I, I, I know Karen really well. I've known her for you know, 25 years. I know Rick really well. He and I belong to the same parish in Santa Monica, and he's a constituent who's had projects in my district. Uh, I think they're both really great people. Uh, and I think they, they both love Los Angeles. Uh, I think Karen has a, a, a different understanding of Los Angeles, uh, uh, about the, the, the problems with systemic racism, about the way different communities experience Los Angeles, about income inequality. Uh, and she has the, the ability from connections at the state and federal level uh, to actually make change in government. And one of the things I love about Karen Bass is uh, she has a skill set that I never mastered. Right. She, she's a progressive who, who, who doesn't piss very many people off. And, uh, I, I, I adore that characteristic of her because it helps her move the ball. And, um, I, I think it'll be a very interesting dynamic if Karen is elected. I think she will be. Uh, and you have a block of four or five progressives uh, on the council, particularly young progressives. That's going to just steer the city in a different elect, uh, direction. You know, if, if you've got four solid progressives and then, you know, I include Marquise in that, uh, then you pull in a few others on different votes. You've, you've got a working coalition. You've got a, a, a majority or close to it for almost every vote. And that means when the mayor proposes a budget, there's going to be a lot more of an investment in um, uh, in reimagining public safety, in unarmed responses. You know, there's going to be a, a lot more investment in housing and in youth development and in, in youth jobs uh, than you would see ordinarily. And I think that's, that, that's pretty exciting and promising. Sherry, saw you the other day, last week or so, at, at the Venice Family Clinic. Last week. Uh, at a program where you spoke. Yep. A committee yep. meeting, yes, actually. She was very impressed with your thoughts on the... Who gave you permission to, <laughs> to give my secrets out, Boyarski? <laughs> Go right ahead, dear. I'll get even. She was very interested in your thoughts on the new... On the character I, I was. Proposed by yes. Governor Newsom. I know that program, and I've seen it develop over the years. It deals directly with how we deal with the mentally yep. ill. How we deal with the homeless mentally ill. Yeah, uh, I, I did speak about that on the... Well, it's it's I actually like similar to, it. to Sherry's, which is uh, probably why she uh, appreciated my thoughts. I actually was listening to your, your podcast when you were, the two of you were discussing that um, uh, the other day. And uh, my thoughts are sort of in line with Sherry's. Is I, I would put it this way, is, um, you know, 
I, I think so many times with, with, with homelessness, with mental illness, uh, we, we respond, uh, from, from sort of a place of, of failure rather than a space, a place of promise. And to me, the fact that we're doing care courts is, is responding from a place of, of, of failure. We're dealing with, uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, an almost carceral approach to mental health, mm-hmm. um, because we are failing to provide stuff stuff up front. We're prevailing, fa- failing to provide community level mental health support. We're, we're refusing to invest sufficiently, uh, in, in mental health when people need it and when people want it. So, uh, I, I think the answer really, the systemic answer is, is, is get to the root of the problem, uh, address mental health issues early. Um, there are some people who clearly need help who are suffering against uh, and, and don't have the right judgment. And there needs to be uh, some occasion to, 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 to give them the treatment they need, sometimes against their will. There's some heartbreaking situations out there. Um, but the bulk of the problem is not that. The bulk of mental uh, health needs a, a different approach. And it's one the legislature is ignoring in their rush to do this. And they're, they're, they're not adding housing. They're not adding more mental health services. And the, the quote that I used, no, it, no. and the, the quote They're I used, and the quote that, that Sherry used a few weeks ago is the same one that the LA Times used uh, uh, about uh, just adding an extra door to a building that's already crowded. Uh, and uh, I know everybody's going to feel good when they pass this, and there'll be a few people who will get referred to care court, but it's not going to sort of change the, the inflow, and that's what we need to do. How do you do that? How do you do that? I want to know. Well, How do you change the influence? It's so hard. You know, I, it, it's, it's like person to person. You know, I've been in your district. Uh, you know, you took me around and showed me all of the places where uh, housing, we, we spent a whole day driving around and, you know, put housing here or there. And then also in your district, I've spent time with the uh, wonderful people at St. Joseph's, uh, which, finds housing and care for people. And I was so impressed, except one thing just bothers me. It's so one person at yes. a time. I mean, it's it's like you've got to go down to the tents and find the person and get the person sort of on your wavelength and then get the person interested in the care. I mean, I know it could be done. I I I've, I've seen it done, but it's just so slow. And one of the reasons people tried to recall you is that they want action now. Uh, well, I, I think there were some uh, who, who did that. I think the main architects of the recall uh, were the people who had uh, funded and launched the efforts to stop the solutions to homelessness. The main people behind the recall were the people who sued to to to, to stop housing, who appealed to stop shelter, who protested to stop services in Venice. That was the ironic thing: is the people who were faulting me for not doing enough are the ones who were trying to prevent me from doing things. Uh, and in the race to succeed me, you know, the the person challenging Aaron Darling, who is the real progressive in the race, is somebody who started her career in Venice by. By, by filing an appeal to stop a project. So that's what I think was behind a, a, a lot of the, the, the recall stuff. But in terms of homelessness, yeah, it's slow. And yes, it needs to be one person at a time um, because everybody is out there for 
a different reason, a different dynamic, and people need a different response. How a you know a seventeen year old runaway who's a victim of sexual abuse is living on the street, what they need is different than you know a, a, a vet who's been suffering from PTSD and has been under the bridge for twenty five years. Right? Those are different situations, and you have to tailor the response to them. And you don't offer the same thing, and the pace isn't the same. But because it's an individual thing. That means the approach has to be a lot bigger than it is. And it means that the available resources need to be bigger. You need a, more, a bigger menu of, of, of things to, to, to be offering people. Um, and we're, we're, we, we do, um, we're doing more than we ever have in LA County. I, you know, I, I think it's important to note that, but it's still not enough. Our, our stated goal under this crazy settlement agreement the city's entering into with 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 Judge Carter is deal with 60% of the problem and then you can enforce you can you can push 40% of the problem away and 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 that's kind of crazy um uh part of our issue is even when we throw more money at the problem we, we don't have enough people to do the work you know um uh it 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 is really hard right now for all the agencies that are trying to ramp up, whether it's St. Joseph Center or PATH or, or Safe Place for Youth or Venice Family Clinic. It's hard for them to staff up, staff up with the people needed to do the work. Um, we're, we're short healthcare workers. We're short mental health care workers. Uh, we want to launch all these programs, but there's not trained clinicians. And you, you can't expect to solve the problem of somebody who's suffering from mental illness, mental illness living on the street if you're just sending out somebody armed with a bottle of water and a granola bar. Right. You need somebody who know or somebody with with a badge and a gun. You you need to be responding with the appropriate tools. And we're short of that. And part of it is because we pay those people not particularly well. And it's also part of the larger problem, don't you think, that's going on throughout, certainly throughout the city. And I assume elsewhere that for one reason or another, there are not enough people who want to, want to work at jobs that they don't perceive to have a benefit for them. I, I was going to say, I also serve on the board of directors of our transit agency, and we have a hard time finding people to drive buses. Uh, you know, it, it, that, that's a very stressful and difficult job. Uh, and if people can, can make as much uh, making a, a, a fancy coffee at Starbucks as they can operating a bus, they're going to pick Starbucks. And then there's the teacher shortage. You know, but I'm wondering, can you answer this, Mike? Might there also be kind of a, a cultural bias in the city, in the government mechanisms, pro-law enforcement, as opposed to spending a whole lot of money on all of these social programs with the understanding that it's, you know, it takes less time for a cop to get you and move you away than it would be to do what you see as the way to handle one by one. Uh, the I'd have to say homeless. it's a lot stronger than a bias. I'd actually say it's a cripple. I'd say it's a crippling addiction. Uh, uh, Los Angeles, in particular, is is addicted to to, to using law enforcement for almost everything, uh, almost everything, and it has been for thirty years relying on LAPD, uh, which doesn't particularly want the job, to deal with homelessness has been sort of the cornerstone of LA's approach. 
as a result, we've gotten tied up in lawsuit after lawsuit. Um, and we've, we've been distracted time, money, attention, focus, uh, from actually solving the problem. You, you can't legislate homelessness away. You can't, you can't, you know, lock homelessness up. I mean, you, you need housing, you need shelter, you need services. And while the city does more than it ever has, I have spent in my nine years on the council more time than I can count, more hours than I can count discussing legislation that 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 pushes homelessness from block to block or criminalizes homelessness that doesn't solve it just moves it uh, and have spent a fraction of that on how do we get people off the street how do we get the right services how do we make housing faster and cheaper and um some people would like to say, oh, you know, we can walk and chew gum in the city and we can do enforcement and we can do uh, housing at the same time. No, the city of L.A. can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm sorry. Uh, and um, we, 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 we need to be doing the housing and the services. And until we focus on that, we're just going to keep making this problem worse. When uh, you were showing me your district that day and driving around, uh, we passed places where that would be perfect for housing, yep. affordable housing. And uh, and then you showed me designs of buildings, proposed buildings, and a couple that were even built that looked so much better, actually, than the uh, thing bad apartments yep. Yep. Uh, that <laughs> surrounded it. And, and I thought, what is wrong with these people? I was thinking of the neighbors who were unalterably opposed to anything. What is wrong with these people? Why don't they want this nice building near them instead of some junky old thing? What is there something about Los Angeles that makes uh, makes us narrow and selfish? I, I don't know that it's anything particular about Los Angeles, and you know, I, I think a lot of people have really been. One, people are frustrated with the problem, and I think it's that that it's important to to acknowledge that. Uh, and they think housing takes too long. They, they, they want the problem solved today. Just they, they want the problem to not be visible. And so they think you know, their perception is, oh, these, these these idiots in government trying to provide people housing. You know, why can't we just make the problem go away a lot faster? Uh, we can if we do more housing and we do it more quickly. Um, you know, we need mental health services. We need uh, substance abuse services, but we need housing as well. Otherwise, you've got people trying to get sober or trying to get well living in a tent, which doesn't really help the problem of homelessness. Um, people are, are, are also, they, they've fallen for this narrative that, you know, talk radio does and Tucker Carlson does. And some of my colleagues do that, that associates uh, homelessness with, 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 with crime, violence, predatory behavior. There's a, there's a, there's a rag on the West Side, an online rag called the West Side Cart, which is, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a crime sheet, right? They have, they have a story today, you know, as an old newspaperman, Bill, you know, the old adage about, you know, you, you don't write a story about dog bites man, you write a story about man bites dog. They have a story today about dog bites man because the person who owns the dog is homeless. And so that's actually a story, big headline, you know, a homeless person evicted from housing, dog bites, social worker. Um, you know, they never do a story or would never do a story about uh, you or I having a dog that bites somebody. Right. And so there's this bias built in that's sort of infecting people's perceptions. And so they, they associate solving the problem with 
getting closer to an intensification of the problem. And that's that that that's a roadblock. And it's been a roadblock for providing community level mental health services too. Can I can I follow up on your question, Bill? Um, you know, what's wrong with these people? I'd like you to expand that to the current city council. Is this current city council ineffective? It you know, and a, so as I'm wide. winding down, I mean, yes, I'm getting more more candid and open, but I'm also spending a lot of time thinking about the dynamic. And um, you know, I've I've clearly pissed some people off in the building as well as outside the building. And um, part of part, part part of the reason I think that that I've I've I, I, I've done so is to to a certain extent, I think you know, I'm perceived as a traitor to the political class. Um, you know, I was a staff member for a number of years, uh, worked for a couple of different council members, and I sort of grew up in that 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 system, uh, which is a universe of elected officials and strategists and consultants and 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 and, and staffers and 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 club members and stuff like that. Uh, and that 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 uh, really some amazing, bright, passionate, thoughtful, uh, uh, committed people in, in, in those circles. But because it is a circle, it's a, it's a club of sorts. It gets sort of an insular mindset uh, about what the solutions are, uh, what the problems are, uh, how big we should go on stuff, what the pace is of stuff. And I think homelessness really started breaking that bubble for me. Uh, the 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 pandemic totally broke it for me. It, it smashed it open, and the and the and the, the the George Floyd summer broke it open for me. And uh, you know my my progressive leanings got a lot stronger, and I got more candid about supporting you know folks like Eunices and folks like Kenneth Mejia and 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 Ugo and Aaron, people who are running to shake things up. And for for me, what what I think is that. Living in, in, in the bubble, as, as most elected officials do, even when they try not to, um, uh, people don't understand how impatient and angry people are right now. You know, p- people in their 20s over climate change, th- they don't want to see us doing, you know, some policy. You know, they, they love that we're going to electric buses, but, you know, that's small time for them. They want us off fossil fuels now. Because they know what their future is going to be if we don't. And there's this level of impatience. And I just don't think people feel that government is responsive enough to it. And I think we in, in, in government, um, uh, don't see that we have both the potential and therefore the responsibility to do even more faster, bigger, uh, harder, more, more, more structural stuff. And, um, you know, it's sort of, I guess it's a Bernie versus a Biden mentality in a way about about how how big you go and how how, how fast you try to go, uh, and, and I think and I think that's part of it. And, and what you see, since you asked about the council, I, I have to touch on this, is a, a a real pronounced contempt for uh, people who are pushing for 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 faster change. Uh, you know, some of the activists who come to council are disruptive, for sure. Uh, I've been to a lot of meetings with people who are to my right, who've been opposed to housing, who are very disruptive. And that's just the, the nature of, of, of politics is I've heard so many of my colleagues give speeches or, or, or remarks attacking the, the activists for being just about slogans or signs. I'm like, my, my feeling is as a, as a gay man in his mid fifties, 
I look back at the history of AIDS, I look back at the history of my community, and there's so many people uh, my age who meet my profile who would be dead today if there weren't really angry people from ACT UP protesting Ed Koch, protesting CDC, disrupting a service at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Mm -hmm. They were firebrands who annoyed the hell out of people then, but they actually were, they were just trying to get people to listen and move. And I think we're kind of at that moment now. And I think people who are sensitive to that are the ones who are, who are catching fire with the electorate. You know, I've noticed something on the, on the council. You're right about it being this, this club and how the council majority and the people who run the council and the lobbyists and all that, um, marginalize dissenters. Your, your predecessor, who was a, Bill Rosendahl, who was a great member of the council, was marginalized. They wouldn't listen mm -hmm. to him. I noticed on the, uh, on the homeless folks, on the, on the last measure that came up before the council, there were three yeah. of you. Yep. Yeah, there, there, there were three. Me, Nithya Raman, and Marquise Harris Dawson. And that, that measure, of course, was extremely punitive because it will force the movement of the tents and the, and the encampments to where? No one knows where. That, uh, we, we certainly tried to get into the discussion, but, um, you know, that, well, one, that issue frustrates the hell out of me because it feels like we discuss it all the time. And we discuss it like every six months. For whatever reason, we usually discuss it right before Christmas break and right before summer break. This year I dissented, so the vote got delayed, and we discussed it after summer break as well. But um, that that issue and that approach, which I obviously think is wrong, I, I have a problem with it for three reasons. One, I, I think it's it's it, it's cruel. Two, I think it's fake. And uh, three, I think it's illegal. Um, you know, it's 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 cruel because it's just it's just pushing people around. It's actually disconnecting people to services. It's 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 the wrong focus, uh, and it's counterproductive. And we know it's counterproductive. Um, it's happening now. Two, we know it's fake because there are signs saying no camping all over the city, and they never get enforced. Because even if you are the biggest pro LAPD, hire as many cops as you want, we will never have enough cops to enforce against every encampment in the city. There's encampments right now in my district in places where there are signs right above, and this is true around the city, where it says you're not supposed to camp. And um, uh, this is an opportunity for a lot of people to, to, to pound their chests and posture as if they're doing something. And it's just going to piss people off when nothing happens. And the third the thing about it being illegal is we just negotiated, I voted against it, but we negotiated this settlement with, with, with Judge Carter from Orange County uh, over homelessness. And um, the, the, the whole lawsuit is just a, it's a, it's, it's subterfuge. It's a premise to do the bare minimum in order to do enforcement and push people around. But, but this thing that the council just passed last week about parks and schools or schools and daycare centers isn't even compliant with the settlement that we just passed like two months ago. Uh, and so it's going to get litigated and then we're going to spend more time and energy talking about lawsuits instead of housing. Mike, this has been a really good in-depth discussion and we, uh, Really appreciate you taking taking the time to uh, to talk about it, educate our audience. Sherry and I are going to take a week off for a break, 
Not a vacation. Hey, summer break. I go back tomorrow. <laughs> She's going tomorrow. <laughs> Well, well, since anyway. you have listeners around the state, let me just remind them, pay attention to what's happening in Los Angeles, because some interesting stuff is happening here politically. We didn't do what San Francisco did with the DA. That didn't happen. There's, there's a, there's a, there, and we wanted to yeah, discuss There's a that. progressive strain at work here. And, you know, not all of these people, may, some of them may not win in November, but I think most of them will. And then it's going to be a potential turning point here, and it'll be exciting to see and watch. Mike, I'm I'm just so sorry that you're walking away from it, and I don't mind telling you that because I don't see the engine that you provide at this point in time in Los Angeles. Maybe the mayor, the new mayor, but, you know, drive that city council. Who's going to do it next? Well, I think you'll see Ugo and Aaron and Eunices and Nithya and and Marquise and and a few others doing that. Uh, And I won't be on the council, but I do want to find a way to continue to engage. Maybe journalism, maybe teaching, maybe podcasting uh, or some continued advocacy and organizing. But I I, I want to stay engaged because it's too important not to. And we all got to make a difference. Great. Mike, come and see us again. Absolutely. We'd love to. Bill, we'll, I'm going back, so we won't be together next week, but we'll be back together we'll be back the week together, after right? that. You'll be all suntanned and... All suntanned and just washed up in nasty secrets. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.